I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. The Omicron variant has screwed up, well, everything, it seems. We've been through surges before, but this one feels different, and it's not how we'd hope to start 2022. It seems like everyone knows someone who has recently gotten infected with COVID or at least has been exposed to it. It's all over the place. Like, I've never seen anything like this over the course of the pandemic. That's Chronicle Health reporter and Fifth Emission mainstay guest Aaron Alday. So we know it's not just anecdotal. San Francisco now has the third highest coronavirus transmission rate in the state, and the county's seven-day average is more than double the previous peak last year. At the moment, the United States is averaging more than 400,000 new cases each day, and this kind of surge is like a vertical wall. The case increase has just been so high so fast that it looks like if you see it kind of on a graphic, like in a chart, it looks just like a straight-up wall, like a vertical wall. This jaw-dropping surge has caused widespread worker shortages, nightmarish delays at airports, and all kinds of other disruptions. Aaron Alday is here to give us the lowdown on and what we need to know about this record-breaking, fast-moving COVID-19 variant. Aaron, Happy New Year. Thanks for being back to talk about our not-so-fun but very popular topic, COVID. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. <laughs> We've been through a lot of COVID searches by now, but what makes this one different? We know it's faster, more contagious, but what have we learned about Omicron that maybe we didn't know since we last chatted, which was right before the holidays? Yeah, I think one thing that's very encouraging is, you know, we started this off talking about this just astonishing case increase, but our hospitalizations still look pretty good and very manageable. So we're not anywhere near last winter's peak in our hospital numbers. They're definitely climbing and they're climbing at a rate that is concerning, but they're still at just such much lower levels as compared to cases than than anything we've ever seen before. And I think what we're seeing is a combination of what we now know is Omicron is, is a milder, causes milder disease. So that's compared to Delta and compared to earlier variants. So we, we can say that with confidence now. And we mm-hmm. also have, you know, a much more vaccinated population, certainly more than last winter when, you know, last winter we were just seeing the first vaccines going out at all to mostly healthcare workers. Now we have, you know, in much of the Bay Area, 80% or more of the population at least has two doses or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson. And, you know, anywhere between half and two thirds of people have those boosters. Um, and if you have boosters, you're just you're back up to basically 90, 95% protected from serious illness. That's the kind of illness that leads to hospitalization. So, you know, we still see quite a few breakthrough cases, even among those who are boosted, but we're so well protected from hospitalizations at this point. So when people are hospitalized, it still is mostly the unvaccinated. And then occasionally some people who are especially older or immune compromised have some other really severe health conditions that are causing them to have, you know, potentially a severe COVID case even if they're fully vaccinated. But but overall, mm-hmm. it just it looks so much better than it did in the winter. And what's changed from since last time you and I talked is that we can we had sort of hoped that would be how this would play out two or three weeks ago. Now we can say with confidence that yes, that's that's how this is this is playing out in the in the Bay Area and in California. Well, that is good news, but how are hospitals doing right now? Hospitalizations might be low compared to the last surge, but are hospitals holding up okay? Last we checked, they were holding up okay, and they felt pretty confident about how they would, you know, be able to weather this. And again, we're talking for the Bay Area now. 
um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is, you know, sort of its own, you know, separate place, just again, given the really high vaccination rate. So they definitely, they were nervous. They were feeling, you know, and on our feeling kind of stressed out. Not only the kind of the COVID hospitalizations getting up there, but the fact that any given winter, we're going to just have more people in the hospital from the flu, from other respiratory illnesses. Um, And then we also just have an overall kind of sicker population from people delaying treatment over the last couple of years. So people, when they are hospitalized, are sicker right now. So, you know, they're feeling that stress on top of the fact that, you know, this is a really burned out workforce. Um, They've been working so hard. I think we just can't comprehend how hard they've been working for two years. And a lot of them, you know, they live out in the community. They're like the rest of us and they're getting COVID, too. Um, And so I know that they already were reporting quite a few, you know, kind of staffing call outs, people not being able to work because of COVID. Um, And there was certainly a concern that if things get much worse, that you could run into an issue where you actually have lots of beds, but you don't have the staff to cover them because everybody's out sick. So those are things that they're really paying close attention to now. But as of yet, hasn't been a problem. I want to walk through a scenario that is probably very common right now in the Bay Area, which is someone might be fully vaccinated and boosted, but they end up getting COVID with very mild symptoms. So what is the latest health advice for people like that? I mean, honestly, if you get symptoms, first of all, you should try to get tested. And I know that that's hard or it can be hard. My experience and from what I'm hearing is if you actually have symptoms, you should be able to find an appointment um, within a day or two. Um, You know, if you go and sort of and and go through your provider or go to a clinic and kind of sign up, that's not as hard as sort of getting a test if you've just had an exposure, if you're symptom free, but like are just going to an event, say, and just want to get a test just to be sure. Those are the ones that are a little bit harder to come by. And of course, those Mm -hmm. home tests are still there. As far as I can tell, they're not they're not anywhere. They're just so hard to get in person right now. And expensive. And and expensive. expensive. Yeah. And they're not, you know, it's not really an option for a lot of people. They're that expensive Mm -hmm. and certainly not not affordable enough to take as often as people might want to take them. Right. So I think, you know, you should still absolutely, especially if you have symptoms, you you still need to really try to get tested. um, And you should try to do that through your provider or through one of the community clinics. But aside from that, the main thing is just don't go anywhere. Don't go out at all if you have symptoms. Um, and mm-hmm. if you can, you know, isolate yourself from the people that you live with um, and, and upgrade that mask, too. They should be, you know, at home isolating as best they can and with with an upgraded mask on. And it seems like if you have symptoms and for whatever reason are not able to get tested, you should just assume you have COVID and stay home. Right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the truth is, you know, we don't want folks, even if you don't have COVID. We don't want you out in the community getting other people sick with who knows what. And then, you know, I mean, all of these things cause problems down the line. So yes, if you have any symptoms, stay home. Should we relax because Omicron is causing milder illness? Kids under five still aren't eligible for vaccinations. So how should parents keep their children safe? Erin Alday will answer those questions after the break. As you know, Fifth Emission is free to listen to, but you can also support the newsroom that creates the show by becoming a San Francisco Chronicle member. Visit sfchronicle.com slash pod or download the Chronicle app. Aaron Alday, we know this surge is huge, but is the narrative of Omicron causing milder symptoms 
potentially risky making fully vaccinated, boosted folks feel too relaxed in their social gatherings. Why are medical experts still saying you don't want to get infected with this virus? What do we still not know about COVID? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's an interesting situation and an interesting time we're in now because everything that you just said is true. We do talk about people with, you know, getting so-called mild symptoms and that there's a huge range of what people count as mild. I've heard of people that are just kind of a sore, scratchy throat for a day or two versus people who have you know, something that feels like a flu, like the worst flu of their life for two weeks. And that can be mm-hmm. mild as long as you're not hospitalized. Like technically that counts as mild. Right. So there is a broader range. So first of all, you don't want to deal with that. I do think the jury's still out somewhat on long COVID and your chances of developing that after even a mild infection if you're vaccinated. Although I will say the data so far seems to say that that's not very common. Um, it's very unlikely to develop long covid when you're fully vaccinated, especially if you're fully vaccinated and boosted, and that Omicron isn't changing sort of the numbers on that. But I think what we're seeing here is, you know, we're seeing two years of this. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been really hard. And I've I've even had some very kind of heart to heart conversations with friends recently who are just like at their wits end, you know, who are just saying, look, at what point do we look at this and say, I've done everything I can. I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I I feel like I'm not going to get very sick if I get this. I don't have people who are vulnerable in my life, you know, little kids or or immune compromised, you know, friends or family. And I kind of need to to live my life a little bit. And I think that there's room to say that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what the message we're, we're hearing increasingly from public health folks is this recognition that people need that that social life. They need their family. They need their friends. They need to be able to do things and celebrate and enjoy themselves and that that's part of overall health, right? And we're just having right. to see how that plays out when we're still technically in a pandemic, when we're still in a surge for that matter. We did see, though, like a lot of backlash against the CDC when they reduced that quarantine length from 10 days to five. You know, what's your take on what the response should be? Should it mirror the safety precautions and support that was offered when we had terrible surges in the past? It's a really tough situation. And I and I honestly feel for the CDC folks on this, because on the one hand, the science has changed and Omicron has changed things, too. We think Omicron might just have a faster incubation period, which may mean that people get through their infection faster. And there is a problem with keeping to a 10-day isolation, for example, when the science doesn't back that up anymore and mm-hmm. and when you're potentially facing major workforce shortages in the healthcare industry, but other industries, too, that could be, I mean, the repercussions of that could be enormous, right? Do we need all of our teachers to be out for 10 days every time they test positive if they're actually only sick and infectious for five of those days, right? Mm -hmm. But people are rightfully concerned that, you know, that that's a little bit too lenient um, and that we're making a lot of assumptions about how this thing still spreads. What we're seeing is that it's very difficult to to kind of come up with a catch-all mandate for these things. So I'm not giving you a good answer here. I think it's it's complicated. <laughs> um, I do think it's yeah. smart. One thing that the, that California did recently is it it took the CDC guidance, but it added an element where you have to test negative at day five in order to come out of that isolation. So CDC mm-hmm. said as long as you're symptom-free, you can come out of isolation or at least your your symptoms are getting better, they said, which is where some of the confusion comes from. And then the state CDPH said, no, you've got to test negative in order to come out of isolation. So a lot of people think that that was a smart way to go. And they think the CDC will probably adopt that too fairly soon. 
And of course, there are a lot of anxious parents right now. Kids under five still can't be vaccinated. What's the guidance for families, you know, who have to deal with kids going back into school and how to protect their kids when they're not able to be eligible for vaccination? I think there are a couple issues at play. So, you know, those are two sort of sort of separate issues in that we have the kids under five who can't get vaccinated at all. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of those parents, you know, they've been sort of dealing with that issue for quite some time. And most of them, I think, have sort of come up with with strategies that work for them as best they can. You know, having kids back in daycare, having older kids who are going to school, kind of interacting with little kids. I will say, you know, they're they're still at much less risk of severe illness than anybody else. Um, so so that still looks mm. good with the little kids. With the older kids going back to school, that's that's an interesting one in that, first of all, those kids can't get vaccinated and should. So I think, you know, our vaccination uptake hasn't been as great with that age group as with others. So there still is work to be done there. And I think that, you know, if parents have been hesitating with Omicron, now is the time to do that for sure. And then hopefully the the older kids, the teenagers, are now all eligible to get boosters. So that's something that the the FDA just um, just recently approved is is boosters for that age group. So they should get on top of that. I mean, I think what we're seeing, you know, is that schools have been open for they were open for a semester, you know, for all of the fall, even when Delta was around and Delta's pretty highly infectious. And so they, you know, came up with strategies to protect kids, to protect teachers and staff and classrooms and that. And, and California did overall really well in keeping schools open. But what we're seeing, I think, is is California especially has just really, really doesn't want to go back to not having schools open again. Because um, right. we did that for a year and that was just terrible. And, and nobody wants to kind of see that happen again. So I think they're just really kind of hoping that all of the the strategies we've we've put in place already that that prove to work really well with Delta that they will continue to work even with Omicron. So Aaron, is there a silver lining here? You know, there's chatter that antibodies from getting Omicron could potentially help protect from future infections from other variants, including Delta. So could there be an upside to this really fast, widespread? milder illness that we're hearing about now. For sure. There definitely is a potential upside. And one of the big things is this thing being so highly infectious is that, you know, it's going to ramp up our immunity even more than it was before Omicron. So the thinking is that people who haven't been vaccinated yet somehow and get infected with Omicron, they're going to have some immunity from that infection. Mm -hmm. Um, People who are fully vaccinated but hadn't boosted, if you get infected with Omicron, that's essentially a booster. So that gives you that kind of extra level of immunity. And same with if you're fully vaccinated plus boosted, that gives you another booster. So the hope is that it's going to do a lot for us in terms of building that that community immunity mm-hmm. and do it without much kind of loss in terms of loss of life. So the hope is that we can get to this really wide, wide, widespread you know level of immunity without any sort of devastating or without much sort of devastating fallout, which is what we've been trying to avoid throughout this whole pandemic. And as you pointed out, there is some evidence that Omicron antibodies developed specifically to Omicron may be protective against other variants, which probably there will be something that, again, it may be, you know, really not so bad because we're all pretty well protected against it because of Omicron and our vaccines and everything else we've been through. So what do you think we can expect in the weeks to come with this particular wave? Are you hearing any kind of optimism from public health experts, even as we're all continuing to monitor this, this huge surge? 
Yeah, I think if there's if there's optimism, it's that this Omicron looks like it goes in really fast. So it kind of flashes and, and explodes, but then the, the downslope is very steep too. So the surge could be over much faster than previous surges. So I, I did a little bit of calculations on that. And our, our earlier surges have been anywhere from like kind of two to three months to fully play out from the time when they start climbing to back when they level off again. And there's a chance this one could be more like four to six weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So we could be already, you know, peaking in just a week or two, and then starting to fall down towards the end of the month and basically back to kind of some sort of baseline by early February. And so if we get past this really quickly, and we don't see a huge effect on our hospitals, and it does turn out to be mild, and it does turn out to give us, you know, even more protection against the next wave, then we could come out of this wave, honestly, in in pretty good shape. And there are mm-hmm. folks that think that that's, that's actually likely. And that, you know, by spring and summer, we could be really looking at that endemic phase where we're sort of starting to master, you know, how do you really go about just living a normal life while this thing just circulates around us and does this thing? Well, fingers crossed, Aaron. I, I hope that's the case, but I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Aaron, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks so much for having me on again. Erin Alday is a health reporter at The Chronicle. You can find her ongoing COVID coverage at sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. 